0: Hey, good morning and welcome to Family Church. Hope you're all doing really well this Sunday morning. Um, It's my privilege to be able to share the word of God with you today. And um, I have a word on my heart um, that fits in alignment with the vision that we kind of shared at the beginning of the year about running our best lap. And um, I want to just kind of delve a little bit into that and open it up a little bit more. And um, I want to talk about running our race regarding discipleship. And uh, we're going to start today by looking at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It's a great scripture, but I love that. But he says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And I love that because there is a race marked out for each of us. There's a race that God has put us in, and it's a privilege to be part of it. Um, and 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 this race, God is cheering us on. And I love the thought of that as well, that actually we're in a race that God's marked out for us. And he's also in it with us, and he's cheering us on in this race. And uh, I just want to share just something often when we think about this kind of uh, running a race or or, or whatever it might be of an event that we're we're in, whatever kind of thing it is, there's always a season of preparation. Um, And I suppose the word is obscurity. There's a moment before any race of, of, of obscurity. There's a moment before any great final or championship of obscurity. And I want to encourage you this morning, don't be afraid of the obscure seasons of life that is a place of growing and developing. You know, when we look at, uh, let's say, the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games or one of these, these 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 major championships, and we're watching the final of these incredible athletes that are running um, what is their race to run. You know, we're seeing this and we're cheering it on, and there's crowds of people shouting and cheering, and it's this incredible, overwhelming, almost powerful, emotional moment, and it's almost like everything they've worked at's come to this moment, but. Understand this, that this isn't the moment they've just got on the track. There's been years and years of, of behind-the-scenes work where no one was really watching them. There might have been years where they felt alone in what they were doing, maybe felt like giving up. There's always an obscure moment to any great moment. There's always a moment behind the scenes when no one's watching before you put into a place where everyone is cheering and watching. The disciples, when I think in the Bible, you know, they journeyed with Jesus on the earth for around three years or so. And that was a season of growing and developing. You know, they were following him, probably unsure of what was going on at times and a little bit kind of not really knowing what was going on. And for three years, they lived in this kind of obscure behind Jesus moment before things exploded in their own lives and before they were carrying the gospel themselves. But there was a season of growing and developing, King David, when I think of King David, you know, a young child anointed by Samuel, he didn't become king till much later on. You know, there was a season of anointing of this is who you are. But then they went into the field where he looked after the sheep, where he learned to defend the sheep, where he looked to worship God, where he looked when no one where he learned sorry where no one was looking to, to, to love on God. And to build that character. And that's what God was doing in the obscure moment of his life. He was building David's character when no one was watching, just between him and God. And that defined him as a person because that meant when he stood up against Goliath that day, he was able to overcome because in the obscurity of his life, he had learned to overcome um, wild beasts, bears, lions, these things. He had learned to do that when no one was looking. So then he was brought to the final race day where he was up against Goliath and he learned to take him down. And my encouragement, I say all this, is because don't be afraid of those obscure seasons of life where you might be thinking, you know, God, I know you've called me to a race, but I feel like I'm not on it. You are. You're just maybe in a season of growing and developing, and that's absolutely fine. So two questions, I suppose, I'm going to ask before we look at some points is this. The race that we're called to run, is it an individual race? Is it just you running this race or is it more than that? Um, in athletics um, or an athletics, you know, championship, it's both, isn't it? You have an individual, like, say, the 100-meter sprint who's running the race, but then you also have the fact that they're running for themselves to win that medal, but they're running for the the, 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 the team. They're running for the bigger picture of the team to win um, as a team event. And I believe the Christian life is both an individual race where, God's calling you to run the race, but it's a team event, the body of Christ working together to to reach out to a lost world. It's it's both you in your quiet life, in your behind the closed doors of your world, reaching out to God and growing and developing. But as a community of people coming together for the greater good of the kingdom of heaven. Throughout the Gospels, um, we see the disciples who were called by Jesus to follow him. You know, individually, they were called to follow him. Um, following him individually and having a personal relationship with him, but also together as a team, we used to go and reach and help others. And we see that throughout when 70 were sent out and when, when, when the, the feeding of the 5,000, you know, as a team, they were used, but together, uh, sorry, together they were used, but individually, they had a, a, a relationship with Jesus. They had a, an individual and then a team thing going on. So every time An athlete competes. They compete to win the individual race, but also for the greater good of the team. Every win they make is a win for the team, too. So the focus is not just about them, but also those who are competing with them on a team. So the individual race, when we look at this, like I said, we run our own race to build our relationship with God, to grow in prayer and in the knowledge of his word. But then the team event this is now looking at the Christian life, the team event we run to see the kingdom of heaven break out in the lives of those around us, workplaces, schools, families, friendship circles. This part involves others um, and seeing them grow in God. So we have a responsibility, yes, for ourselves to be running in this race, but also the, the greater good of those around us as well. So like any race, we have an opponent. Um, and I think this is a really important bit to clarify that that often In a race, there is a whole heap of people lined up and there's um, opponents racing against each other. And often in life, um, we can look around ourselves and think you're running against people and you're running against this person and everything's a fight against people and um, this person's got this and everything's almost a battle. And often in life, we can look at others around us, as I said, and think we are competing against them. And in some cases, this can be true. You know, like if you was in a job interview, for instance, this, this would be the reality. You couldn't all get hired. That would be a little bit silly. Um, but you, so in that sense, you are competing uh, against people. But in life as whole, we, we it's important to understand that we're not competing against those um, around us. The Bible... Um, gives us a picture of who our opponent is. In Ephesians six twelve, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. I love that. This is not a natural race to see ourselves better than others around us. Or to be able to say we're more supreme than others around us, like I have more than you. This isn't the race we're running. This isn't the race of the kingdom of heaven. The Bible actually says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. What does that represent? People, humanity. You know, you're you're surrounded today, this morning, probably um, with people around you, either neighbors next door or maybe family members in the same room you're watching or maybe you're on a bus watching it or, or wherever it might be. There's people around you. Take a moment to look at them and realize they're not your opponent. They're not the ones you should be fighting against. The Bible's clear that the rulers and the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil is the ones that we're wrestling with in a supernatural almost way, not not physical. This race is against the power of darkness that is present on this earth to try and take people to hell. This race is against the power of darkness, causing people to face depression and anxiety, feeling hopeless and like they have no way out. This race is against the devil and his evil host bringing sickness upon people and robbing them of life. This race is to bring the love and life of God to a lifeless and loveless generation. This race is to bring all the power of heaven on earth and eradicate the enemy and his evil plans. And, you know, that can seem like a big job and a big task. And that's why. It's not just an individual race. It's a team event together that we have to do this. But we must understand our opponent. And it's definitely not those around us, our brothers and our sisters. We're called to love others as uh, we love ourselves. We're called um, to love our neighbours as ourselves. We're called not to fight people, but to love people. And it's so important that we understand that, that our opponent isn't humanity. So... I think the best picture of this in in regards to discipleship and running the race would be the relay race. You know, we see in a relay race that it is a team event and there is a baton that needs passing on. And um, this running race that is a a relay race is a great analogy for us to understand what the race is for us. Um, Again, I will just like to clarify it's not a natural race to be the best in in this life or to gain more things in this life. This race is so much more and uh, more about walking with others than it is about us just doing it on our own. It's so much more about others than it is about ourselves. And all we're called to do is draw closer to God so God can draw closer to us. Resist the enemy, the Bible says, and he will flee from you. Our job is to draw closer to God, to grow more in God, to allow his word to saturate our hearts, to allow his life to manifest in our life. And in so, run the race um, and and, and to run and be a part of this relay race, as to say, this race to help others on the journey as well. And I want to look at three things in regards to, I suppose, a relay race or or this team event that we're talking about. And the first thing I want to share is compare or encourage. Are we called to compare or to encourage? To compare means to examine the character or quality of especially in order to discover resemblance or differences. So to examine means to look at something and to see whether you fit with it. It doesn't fit with you. Is it better than me? Am I better than that? That's what comparing does. To encourage is much better. Listen to this. It means to inspire with courage, spirit or hope. I love that. I love that. It means to encourage uh, to inspire with courage, spirit or hope. Comparing often means looking at yourself first and foremost, putting value, good or bad, against someone or something else. So the problem with this is it will often either leave you feeling worse or someone else feeling worse because you feel either you're better than them or they're better than you. This is what comparing can often do. And we live in a world and a society that's comparing itself on a daily basis to others. We live with this social media mentality that's a great tool for certain things, but For some people, it can lead to anxiety, depression, because they are left comparing their life to what they're seeing on here and feeling like they've been left out or they're of a lesser value because of it. We're not called for that. We're not called to compare. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love this. It's one of my favorite scriptures that I no longer live. This isn't about me comparing my life to someone else because I've according into the Bible, I'm no longer, I no longer live. It's Christ that now lives in me. I am an offering to him. The Bible says that the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in him, the son of God. And I love that because I'm not called to sit here and compare my natural life with other people's. Romans 12:1 also says, "Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship." Someone who encourages then is not focused on self but focusing on calling on others to help and encourage them. It's about laying your life down just as Paul wrote there to the Romans as an as a as a living sacrifice. To encourage means to put self down and to focus on others, the needs of others, to to see others be encouraged, to lift other people up. Comparing is quite the opposite. It's about seeing whether you're better than someone else or not. And if you are, I'm going to be insecure and worried about that. And if I am, I'm okay. That's not the life God wants us. That's not the life. The kingdom of heaven doesn't advance based on the principle of comparing. It advances based on the principle of encouraging and equipping one another for the works of God. The kingdom of heaven will advance when we learn to run the race, not only individually, but as a team event. When we look at the Bible do we ever see or are we ever challenged to compare ourselves? You know, the Bible is the ultimate thing we line ourselves up with. You know, it'll be, um, it's the thing, it's the, it's the rule of our life. It's the, if it's not in there, then we don't do it. If it's in there, then we live to it. And how many times in the Bible is there a call to compare to those around us? I actually can't see one. I never see God saying, compare yourself to your neighbors to see if you've got more than them. Compare yourself to, to, to your brothers and sisters to see if you're more talented than them. I never see that. Nowhere in the context of living for God do I see myself having to compare myself to someone else. But how many times do we see the call to encourage one another? Well, it's throughout the Bible. And there's many scriptures, and, and, and I'm not going to read every single one of them out, but I'll read... I'll read the scripture, the, the, the reference out, but without reading it. But for instance, Acts eleven twenty three 23 says this. When he arrived and saw that the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Again, he was glad and encouraged them. We see throughout the book of Acts, the apostles and the disciples of Christ encouraging the saints, encouraging people. You know, um, listen to this one. Acts sixteen forty. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and then they left. Acts fifteen thirty two is another one. Acts twenty verse two, two Corinthians thirteen eleven, Ephesians six twenty two, Colossians four seven and eight, one Thessalonians three two. They all speak of the same thing: encourage one another, encourage one another. The fact that I love this that Paul and Silas came out of prison. Most people, that would be it. I need self time. I've just been in prison. That has been a hard. That was a hardship. I, I, that was too much for me. I need a break. The first thing they did was go to Lydia's house, where they met the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. What did they do to encourage? What's well, the word? Put courage in to inspire with courage, spirit, and hope. Isn't that great? That that's how the kingdom of heaven advances. Not comparing, but eyes off of self focused on others and encouraging others to the to the to the next journey it's that carrying the baton onto the next person and encouraging them on like a relay runner doesn't ever run the race and then compare themselves to the one in front of them because the race would be terrible to watch oh i don't want to give it to them oh they're better than me oh i'll hold back a bit or maybe i'll hold on to it That, that that would just be that would be no good But if you watch them, they're screaming at the next person to take the baton and run with everything that's within them, encouraging them onto the next bit, encouraging them and then screaming. And and that's the picture we want to see of those around us. Less of us and more of Christ, less of us and more of his will in our life. So we're able to encourage and equip the saints to the furthering of the gospel. Amen. There's more scriptures, as I said, 1 Thessalonians 3, 7, 4, 18 and five eleven, all encourage us to encourage. Um, so it's a running theme throughout the Bible um, to encourage one another. And, uh, and I think this is a really important thing to do in a world where we compare so easily is to not compare, but just to stay focused. And that's the next point, really, is point two is focus forward and stay in lane. Hebrews 12, 1 and 3, as I said, um, I read it at the beginning. Um, Verse 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And verse 3 says this, consider him who endured such opposition from um, from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The two things within Hebrews 12, 1 and 3 there is that verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, that needs to be the focus of our life. We need to have our focus on Jesus. Our our focus can't be swayed. It has to be on Jesus. And then that enduring opposition that Jesus faced, I think is a picture of us staying in lane, not being swayed. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, the distractions of life can take us out of the lane God has us in. The distractions of this world can take us out of the lane. And that's what the enemy wants you to do. The enemy wants to get you out of lane that God has for you. And he does this by getting your focus off of Jesus and onto yourself and tempts you with the world around you. That's the picture of what he's done. He's been doing it from day to day. He tried it with Jesus. He even got Jesus to focus on the world and said, I'd give you all of this if you bow down and worship me. His plans are known. He, he, he's doing the same tactics now. And he does it with everything that's around you to try and get our focus away from Christ and then focus onto self that leads to us being distracted with our head turning. And like a running, running a race, if you're running a race and your head is swaying left and right and you're going to be going all over the place. I mean, it would be funny to watch, but it would be no good if you want to win. And we're called to win the race. We're called to run with our hearts focused on Christ. And again, an athlete who's distracted by things outside of the track will never have the focus or attention Long enough to win. And I think it's really important. You imagine a runner running a race with the focus constantly in the crowd. I mean, again, it would be funny to watch to see what would happen, but they're never going to do well. Our focus must be on Christ, keeping our head focused on Him, and then not allowing the distractions of this world to take us out of lane. Philippians 3, 13 to 14 says this. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love this. Three things within that. Forget what's behind. We need to learn to do that. Forget what's behind. We need to forget what's behind. Again, like a runner running a race, They can't be focused on what was going on just there, because if they do, they'll lose sight of what's ahead. We need to keep our focus um, from away from what's behind and forward, press on, which is the next one, forward, pressing on, like that runner running the race, just pressing on to the next thing, to the next thing, and then we win the prize. If you don't stay in your lane or focus ahead, how can the race end well? And I think, I don't think it can, can it? I mean, you may end the, the race, Um, But you won't end it well and and you won't succeed in what you wanted to do and what you wanted God to do in your life. And so our race needs Jesus focus and to stay on God's path for our life, not being swayed by the world around us. So that's the second point, focus forward and stay in lane. And the third point that I think is a really good kind of almost um, point for us to take away is receiving and giving. Let me go back to that relay race again. Um, the relay race is built on receiving and giving. It starts with someone with a baton, they're running the race, and they have to hand it over to the next person who receives it, takes it, and runs with it. Matthew 10, um, 5 to 8, says this, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any towns of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. I love that. Freely you have received, freely give. In a relay race, it's important that you know how to receive the baton but also how to pass the baton or give the baton. You, you, you've got to learn. It's not just about you don't do all your training in learning how to give, give, give. There's an element where you learn to take the baton, to take what this person has and carry on the, the journey, run further with it. And so my challenge, I suppose, with this one, and it's for all of us, for myself as well. You know, these, these, this isn't just about you at home. This is for me as well. Every time we hear a message on Sunday or we're listening to um, a podcast throughout the week or a challenging word, like right now here where you're listening at home, and you've tuned in to listen to this message, you're receiving the message from the word of God. You know, you're hearing um, an encouragement. You're holding on to it for yourself, or are you allowing it to flow out into the world to those around you? Are you allowing it to be received and also give, or given, should I say? Or are you practising only to receive? Are you practising to receive and give, or are you just practising to receive? We need to learn not only to receive, but also to give as well. And, and the, the two go hand in hand. We need to learn how to receive, of course. But we also need to learn how to hand over what we're, we're receiving. So every time you hear a message on a Sunday, are we carrying that message to other people? Are we holding it on for ourselves? That would be like a picture of the relay runner receiving the baton and then saying, that nah, nah, I'm having that for myself. Again, individually, they've got the baton, great. But as a team event, they're not going to win the race. To win the race requires receiving and giving. You know, and, and, and again, looking at discipleship as a whole, we're looking at growing others around us. We're looking at running this race individually for ourselves, but growing the kingdom of heaven, seeing others being lifted up and helping others, seeing those that are oppressed set free, seeing those that are sick healed. This is about us allowing what God's doing in us to flow out of us. When the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us, Do we carry this to others? Do we allow this explosion of the Holy Spirit to flow through every life? And I'm not saying go around the streets and be weird and kooky with with the Spirit of God and start acting so far from how anyone could be reached, but to just let the love of God that manifests inside of you flow through us. Do we take time to allow what God's doing in us to have an effect on those around us? And I just think that to finish on this one picture is the picture of Peter, Peter in the Bible is a great character, and and I love him. He's passionate. He he seems quite fiery, but he's got such a heart. And um, in Acts 2, 1 and 4, I think we can see this picture of Peter taking and uh, receiving and then giving. In Acts 2, 1 and 4, it says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So there they are. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a moment of great impact in this room where people are receiving the Holy Spirit. And 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 it's an amazing moment where they're all receiving from God. But did they shut the doors and just allow that to be just for them? Now, let's have a look what Peter does. Peter, it says in Acts two fourteen. then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. And he goes on to say, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And he goes on to um, speak to them. But the important thing is that he, he raised his voice and addressed the crowd. He spoke. And I don't know what that looks like in our lives. It might not be addressing crowds of people, but it's, it's allowing what God's doing on the inside of them as a group. to, To impact others around them, to address whatever crowd needs to be addressed, whether that be an individual, whether that be a circumstance, whatever it may be, it's allowing God to flow out. And in Acts 2, 40 to 41, it says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation, those who accepted His message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. See, Paul, um, Peter, sorry, could have closed the doors and had a moment of glory with God in that upper room where they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But he had a responsibility to allow what he was receiving to flow out of him, to impact others. And the result of this was that 3,000 people were added to the church. In that day, an explosion of the Holy Spirit, of receiving and giving happened. Like I said, an athlete that receives the baton and holds onto it, cannot be effective as part of the team. The Christian life is about us growing in our walk with God, but it's also about allowing your life to carry the goodness of God to others around you, encouraging them to the next level. Discipleship begins with the unsaved. It begins with allowing the Holy Spirit to flow out of your life into every area of, your, of, of the life around you. You know, discipleship isn't a course where you come to a church and tick the box. Discipleship is the life we live in relationship with God. It's the it's the marriage we have with God that we learn from him and we allow everything we're learning to flow out of our lives. And we allow ourselves to be a vessel, to be used by God, not just for ourselves as an individual, but as a team event. It's not just about getting where you need to get to, but it's also about helping others to get where they also need to get to. It's about thinking about others. So my encouragement and the thing I want to leave you with this week, maybe to to look at your own life, is who's on your track? Who's on your track? And that track may be in church, it may be at work, and it may be at home. It may be saved people that you need to encourage and lift up. It may be the unsaved people that you need to encourage and lift up. Whoever it is, my prayer this week is that you would see this race as a spiritual race against an opponent, that's spiritual, but also that you have all the tools that you need to run this race, that you have the power to encourage. You have the power to keep your focus on Christ and to stay in your lane. And you also have the power, as I said, to receive from God and then give to the world around you. I hope you feel encouraged this week with what I've shared. Um, Have a blessed week, church. Take care.